Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The world uses words like accepting, tolerant, and now inclusive. And to us in the church, those can sound like good gospel words because they are words that apply in a way to everyone and isn't indeed the gospel of Jesus Christ for all God so loved who? the world that he gave his only son But we would do well as the church to remember that Jesus also speaks like he does in our holy gospel for this morning from Matthew 10. As he is sending out his apostles to preach the message of his kingdom in the world, he says, Something that might be a bit startling to our ears and to our hearts. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword is a weapon of war. Where does that war take place? Equally stunning, Jesus says, I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Who is this Jesus that comes With a sword. Who is this Jesus that divides families against one another? I remember a time back when I served in Bear Creek, Wisconsin, that I challenged one of the youth in our congregation to do a little homework assignment for me. She was around seven, eight years old. She was a real eager worshiper and eager participant in everything we did at the church. And I said to her one day, her name was Amber, I said, Amber, I want you to do something for me. I want you to go home, take your Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 1, and I want you to read how Jesus is described in Revelation chapter 1. And I want you to draw a picture for me of how he's described in Revelation chapter 1. And she said, okay. She came back with her picture was fantastic. She had the most puzzled look on her face. You see, in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus is pictured as having white hair, feet like burnished bronze, eyes like glowing coals, and coming forth from his mouth 
a sword. I have seen Jesus depicted in artwork so many times I've never really seen a picture of Jesus like that. The same Jesus whose gospel of the kingdom is for all is also one who comes with a word that divides. A word that is exclusive. And here's the thing that Jesus' word does. That word gets to the heart of what the real problem of the matter is, and that is sin. Wherever sin exists, that word of Jesus is going to wage war. For that is indeed why he has come. And where does that war of sin exist? Indeed, it exists between a man and his father, a daughter and her mother, a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. It exists in households. It exists in relationships. It exists wherever we go. But it also exists, and Paul gets at this in our epistle from Romans 7, that war with sin exists right in your heart. And so the word of Jesus has the effect of cutting down the sin in your heart. And the flesh doesn't like that. Many people don't like that. The word of Jesus is exclusive. It is that word where Jesus says, for example, in Matthew chapter 4, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It does not say, all your sins are fine, all your sins are no big deal. Let's be, as the world would call us to be, tolerant and accepting and inclusive. No, turn away from your sin, because I bring my kingdom with my word. Or, as Jesus says in John's gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way into the kingdom of Jesus and his Father other than through Jesus himself. These words of Jesus are exclusive. Sin must be destroyed. You will only find the Father through Jesus himself. And Jesus makes clear to us that it's a matter of love. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. As we survey the world, our church, our families, our community, and we see division, brokenness, and hurt. Do you know what the problem is? Jesus makes it clear. We don't love him and his word enough. He and his word is to be above every relationship, every endeavor, every undertaking of life, it's a first commandment issue. You shall have no other gods. 
Fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And that means the word of Jesus is above it all. I heard a pastor talking recently about the problem of division within the church. And he said, he made this comment. He said, you know, the Bible talks about unity almost as if it's actually possible. And he said, maybe we ought to start believing that unity is possible. I think he's right. Because what is it that does unite? It is that exclusive word of Jesus Christ that makes its claim on the heart of every single sinner. Every single person. And Jesus attaches a promise to that word. Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. Jesus tells his apostles, as they go out with his word of his kingdom, that wherever that word is received, he is there. It is why that word of Jesus, the word of God, reigns and rules over everything we do as the church. And it ought to reign over every single thing we do as Christians in the world today. Because where that word goes, Jesus goes as well. To those who are cut down by his sword that pierces our hearts and puts to death our sin, he gives life to all who are put to death by the sword of his word. Life for all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Life for all. What a beautifully inclusive word. Life for all and only through Jesus Christ. You see, the exclusivity of Jesus is what makes him truly inclusive. He who puts sin to death upon the cross, he who joins us to his resurrection in holy baptism, offers life freely to all. And if he offers it to all, dear brother and sister in Christ, he offers it to you. You have life. You who endure the war that is waged within you, and around you, you have the kingdom that is promised. What truly is unifying, where unity is truly found,
is where Jesus and his word is above all. Where it does its work of putting sin to death and holding forth life. Because our Jesus, even though he is a crucified Lord, he's no longer dead. He's risen. He lives. Thank you. He is risen that you would be raised. The sword that Jesus speaks of in Matthew chapter 10 is spoken of elsewhere in the book of Hebrews where the author says the word of God is living and active and it calls it a two-edged sword. You see, a sword in battle is swung in order that it might cut. And the development of a double-edged blade in war allowed it to cut in two different directions. Picture yourself in battle trying to swing a sword. If you were to swing it one way for it to cut, and it only had one edge, you'd have to pull it back again and swing again for it to cut. But if it has an edge on both sides, it can cut in one direction and back in the other. Whether this is what the writer to the Hebrews had in mind can't be said with certainty. But I think we see that God's word does indeed cut two different directions. That word puts sin to death. But it also promises life. Because Jesus is living and he lives so that you will live. So that all would live. God Almighty grant us through Jesus Christ and his word, the Holy Spirit. And grant us true unity under his word. That sin would always be put to death in us. And the new life in our risen Jesus always be held before our eyes. And God grant us to be truly inclusive and hold before ourselves, our families, our church, our community, and our world this message of the word that kills and brings to life. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.